Good morning. I do know that my Redeemer lives. Thank you so much, Kelly, and thank you, choir, for that uh, beautiful music this morning. We're grateful that you're with us on this Easter morning, and uh, for those of you that are visiting, we're especially proud to have you with us today. We hope that you had an opportunity on the way in to go by the guest desk, but if you did not, let me encourage you to do that on the way out. We'd love to have a record of your visit, and we have a small gift that we'd like to give to you as well. Turn back, if you would, to Luke chapter 24, the passage Brother Bobby read this morning. Luke chapter 24 and verse number 13. The wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, said, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But where does one turn when hope dries up? Is there a hope when hope was taken away? Is there hope when the situation is hopeless? When Jesus appeared, performing miracles and proclaiming the kingdom, many were certain that they had discovered the deliverer of their dreams. But when the time came when they were sure that Jesus would lead the long-awaited rebellion against Rome, their hopes were crushed by his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. It's now the third day after the death and burial after Jesus. Early that morning, several faithful women arriving at the tomb with spices to anoint his body instead found that the stone had been rolled away and the body of Jesus is missing. In the midst of their perplexity, an angelic messenger speaks to them in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 24, saying to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. The women then ran to report those things to the apostles and the other disciples, but when they did, they didn't believe them. But even Peter, even in his unbelief, went to the tomb to check things out. And he found it empty, just as the women had said. But it was after those events that two of the disciples, who were so distraught over the way things had turned out, that they discounted those early reports of the women that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. In the light of everything that had happened, they decided to go home. They decided to return to their home in Emmaus and try to pick up the shattered pieces of their lives. So they left Jerusalem and they began the seven-mile walk from down through the hills of Judea to the, valley, to the village of Emmaus. In verse 13, we begin reading their story, and it says, And now, behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village named Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. Cleopas and his companion were traveling from Jerusalem to the village of Emmaus. Their hearts were filled with deep sadness as they walked. The events of that prior weekend had been horrible beyond belief. Jesus, their master and their teacher, had been betrayed He had been arrested, he had been crucified, and then buried. 
And as these two walked along, they found themselves reviewing the events of the past three days. And they probably slipped into doing some of what my father-in-law used to call what-ifing. If only Jesus had run from the garden when he had the chance, what a different day this would be. If, if only the disciples had stood with him during that time and during the trial. If only Peter had not denied Jesus. If, if only Jesus had not admitted to Pilate that he was indeed their king. If only the secret disciples among the Pharisees like Joseph and Nicodemus would have spoken up on, spoken up on Jesus' behalf. If, if, if only. We pick up again with our story in verse 15. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned together that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you a stranger in Jerusalem, and you have not known the things which have happened there in these days? While they were carrying on their conversation, Jesus had approached and fallen into step with them and began traveling with them. But for some reason their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Perhaps they were too preoccupied with their sorrow to recognize Jesus. But whatever the cause of their failure to recognize them, Jesus used it as a means to get them to verbalize their feelings so he could lead them to solve their problems by seeing the truth for themselves. I say that because in verse 17, Jesus says, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They responded with body language that revealed just how defeated they were. Verse 18 says that they, when he asked, they stood still and their faces were downcast as if they were about to cry. As if recalling and verbalizing the memories of that weekend were just too much to bear. After this brief hesitation, Cleopas did respond to Jesus' question, but he responded with a question of his own. He said, are you the only one visiting in Jerusalem who is unaware of the things that have transpired this week? So Jesus probed them further, forcing them to review who they thought he was so that he might reveal who he really was. And so he says in verse 19, what things? You see, at this point, these two individuals are living in the past. And Jesus wanted to show them that he was living in the present, and he still is. They responded in verse 21, and this is very important. This is the key verse for us today. They said, we were hoping, past tense, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Their hope is past tense. Everything that they say about Jesus is past tense. He was wonderful. 
We enjoyed his teaching. We loved him. He taught us so much. We had such hopes. But he was crucified. It's all over for them. Death was irreversible. Jesus was now limited to the past. So before I go any further this morning, I want to want you to know if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm speaking specifically to you. If you've never made a personal decision to respond to Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf and to follow Him as Savior and Lord, then I'd ask that you listen very carefully this morning. I mean, really here, the things that these two travelers discovered as they journeyed with Jesus on this first Easter Sunday. There are four things I want you to see with me this morning. First of all, Easter presents us with a crisis of belief. There comes a time when every individual must decide on their own whether or not Jesus is indeed the Son of God. He is the Son of God who died on the cross for the sins of the world and on the third day rose from the dead. Because being a Christian requires a personal experience, not a second-hand one. Cleopas and his companion had heard, they had heard that the women had gone to Jesus' tomb to anoint his body and found that the large stone was rolled away and that the body was missing. They also knew that Peter had gone and himself confirmed those facts. But these two travelers on the road to Emmaus didn't know that Jesus was alive. Their information was rumor and hearsay and secondhand. They had heard the news, but for them to be convinced of the resurrection, it was going to require a personal, first-hand encounter with the risen Lord, which of course is exactly what happened on that day. truth is that a second-hand experience won't cut it for any of us. We too must meet the risen Christ in order to begin a personal relationship. Knowing facts about people is not enough. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul wrote, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted unto him, against that day. Please note that Paul did not say, I know what I have believed. What Paul said was, I know whom I have believed. Becoming and being a Christian involves more than a something to believe. There is someone to receive. Christianity is not just a religion. It's a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this morning, do you know that Christ, the risen Christ, in a personal way this Easter Sunday morning? I'm not asking you if you've heard about the resurrection. I'm asking you if you've met the resurrected Lord. Is He real to you? To really experience the joy of Easter, you must walk with the Lord in a personal saving relationship. Easter presents us with a crisis of belief. And secondly, 
Easter confronts us with ample evidence. Verse 25 says, And then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We're told that the Lord took this teachable moment and he began with Moses and all the prophets and he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scripture. By taking them back to scripture, Jesus is reminding them that everything that has taken place is not a tragedy, but was a part of the plan of God. Perhaps Jesus began all the way at the beginning in Genesis, where God shed the blood of animals so that he might clothe Adam and Eve after their sin, pointing to that blood that covered the sin. He told them that he was the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head in Genesis 3.15. He explained how the ram caught in the thicket that God provided so that Isaac would be spared was a picture of his death in the place of sinners. He took them through the Passover and the sacrificial system instituted under the law and showed them that it was a sign of the things to come. He walked them through the prophecies that he fulfilled in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. Jesus came to the two disciples to rekindle the fire and to reestablish their hope. And he did this by opening the scriptures. The text says that while he spoke, their hearts were burning within him. Verse 32. As he opened up passage after passage, he wasn't performing any miracles. And that's not what got the fire going again. It was the word, the word of God. He showed them that history truly is his story, the story of Jesus. He revealed that Jesus is the chief character of every Old Testament book. So we can rest assured that Jesus is who he claims to be. Easter confronts us with ample evidence. And third, Easter demands a decision. Just as he did with the two Emmaus disciples, the risen Lord waits for your invitation. You must ask him into your life. Verse 28 and 29 say, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they argued strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. After miles of Jesus correcting their false understanding of who the Messiah was, and by pointing them to the Scripture, they finally arrived at their destination at Emmaus, and Jesus was about to go further down the road, but they asked him to stay with them, and he did. From this, we all must learn that Jesus does not push his way into any of our lives. He is a gentleman, and he will not come in uninvited. He will not override your will. He stands at the door and knocks. 
Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says, If anyone opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and eat with me. So he awaits your invitation. You see, the Easter message is not just an announcement. It's an offer. You must receive the offer in order to know, come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Many people turn Jesus away from the door of their hearts and their lives, and in so doing, they close the only opportunity to know God and to experience true freedom in life. There's a story that <clears throat> I read and I've grown to love. It's a story about a woman named Edith Burns. She's a wonderful Christian who lived in San Antonio, Texas, patient of a doctor by the name of Will Phillips. Dr. Phillips was a gentle doctor who saw his patients as real people, and one of his favorite patients was Edith Burns. Edith Burns had a way of introducing herself, a habit of introducing herself to people in this way. Hello, my name is Edith Burns. Do you believe in Easter? And then she would explain the meaning of Easter, and many people would be saved. One morning, she went to, he went to his office with a heavy heart because of Edith Burns. After being called back into the doctor's office, Edith sat down, and when she took a look at the doctor's face, she said, Dr. Will, why are you so sad? He said rather gently, well, Edith... Your lab report came back, and it says that you have cancer. And Edith, you're not going to live very long. Edith said to him, why, Dr. Phillips, shame on you. Why are you so sad? Do you think that God makes mistakes? You've just told me that I'm going to be with my precious Lord Jesus, with my husband and with my friends. You've just told me that I'm going to celebrate Easter forever. And here you are having difficulty giving me my ticket. One afternoon, Edith called Dr. Phillips and she said, I'm going to have to be moving my story to the hospital. And So would you make sure that you put women in there next to me in my room who need to know about Easter? Well, they did just that and the women became to come in and share in that room with Edith and many women were saved. Everyone on that floor, from the staff to the patients, was so excited about her that they called her Edith Easter. That's everyone except Phyllis Cross. Phyllis Cross was the head nurse. She made it plain she wanted nothing to do with Edith because she was one of those religious nuts. She had been a nurse in the Army hospital. She had seen it and heard it all. One morning, two nurses who attended to Edith were sick, and so Edith had to have a shot, and Phyllis came in to give her that shot. When she walked in, Edith, with a big smile on her face, said, Phyllis, God loves you, and I love you, and I've been praying for you. And Phyllis Cross said, well, you can quit praying for me. It won't work. I'm not interested. Edith said, well, I will pray, and I've asked God not to let me go home until you've come into the family. So Phyllis said, well, then you're going to live forever because that's not going to happen. And she abruptly left the room. Every day when she came into her room, Edith would say, God loves you, Phyllis, and I love you, and I'm praying for you. 
Finally, one day, Phyllis Cross said she was literally drawn to Edith's room like a magnet. She sat down on the bed, and Edith said, I'm so glad you've come because God told me that today is your special day. Phyllis said, Edith, you have asked everyone here the question, do you believe in Easter? But you've never asked me. Edith said, Phyllis, I wanted to many times, but God told me to wait until you ask. And now you've asked. And so she took her Bible and shared with Phyllis the Easter story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then she said, Phyllis, do you believe in Easter? Do you believe that Jesus is alive and he wants to live in your heart? And Phyllis said, oh, I want to believe with all my heart and I do want Jesus in my life. And so right there, she prayed and invited Jesus Christ into her heart. A few days later on Easter Sunday, Phyllis came to work. But before she did, she went down to the flower shop and got some Easter lilies because she wanted to go up and see Edith and give her some Easter lilies and wish her a happy Easter. When she walked into Phyllis' room, Edith was in bed, her big black Bible open on her lap, her hands on the Bible, with a sweet smile on her face. When Phyllis went to pick up Edith's hand, she realized that Edith was dead. Her left hand was on John 14. My father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Phyllis took one look at the dead body and lifted her face toward heaven with tears streaming down her cheeks. She said, Happy Easter, Edith. Happy Easter. So she left the room, walked out into the hall, where she found two student nurses sitting. And she said to them, My name is Phyllis Cross. Do you believe in Easter? Easter demands a decision. Fourth and finally this morning, Easter gives us a new hope and a new direction. Verse 30. And it came to pass, when he sat down with them to meet, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened and knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Was not our heart burning within us as he, while he spake to us in the way, and he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, and saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he hath appeared to Simon. And they rehearsed the things that happened in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of the bread. As they sat down to supper and broke the bread for them to eat, suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized who Jesus was. And as soon as they recognized him, Jesus vanished from their sight. After they realized who he was, they went back to share the news with the others. Now they've already walked seven miles. It was night. They were tired and hungry. But hope had replaced despair. And the news couldn't wait until morning. So I don't think they walked back to Jerusalem. I believe they ran. And when those two sweating but joyful disciples arrived and entered the room where the rest of the followers of Jesus were meeting, they spilled out their incredible story. Jesus himself had showed up in their midst. 
Verse 36 says, And as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. And they all rejoiced together that he was risen. He had risen indeed. Concluding this morning, let me just look again at those brief statements of what it means. Easter, Easter presents us with a crisis of belief. This Easter morning, if you're not a Christian, I hope that during this time that we shared together, your eyes have been opened to the truth that Jesus is risen. He is Lord. He is Savior. Easter provides us with ample evidence. He wants you to open His Word and invite Him into your heart. Invite Him in, and He will make the words burn in your heart. He wants you to gather with His people and share together in how He's working in your life, and He wants to turn your disappointments into hope. Easter does demand a decision. Will you invite Him into your life? If that's true of you, then in just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to walk this aisle on Easter morning and make that decision public. Finally, Easter gives us a new hope and a new direction. These discouraged and disappointed disciples thought that Jesus was dead and gone, when in fact he was the one that was walking and talking with them as they trudged along that dusty road. He was near to them even though they did not recognize him at first. When you're disappointed and discouraged, you may think that the Lord is a million miles away. But if you're one of his family, if you're one of his flock, even though you may not see him, he is there with you. For he's promised in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for our Savior this morning. It's hard for us to understand the the love that you have for us, that you would allow your only begotten Son to come to this earth and take on human form, to live here without sin in order that he might be our sacrifice our substitute, that he took our sins to the cross, and there on the cross he paid for every one of those sins. But it is a gift, a gift that has to be received. It's a gift that can be refused. But Lord, I pray this morning that every person in this place would truly receive the gift of salvation. It may be that everyone here is saved. I don't know, but I suspect that's not true. Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you in a personal way, I pray that right now, right here, that they would just turn to you and admit that they are sinners. Admit that they can't save themselves. And call upon you to forgive them and become their Lord and Savior. Father, for those who are saved, I pray that this would be an encouraging day for them to realize that you are ever near that we'll have lived in a present tense experience with you. You're alive. Father, help us, Lord, as we go through the remainder of this service, that everything we do and say would honor and glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.